person? Book, world's record for the most children by a father with one wife. Okay, so go ahead, whatever room you're in, all of you that are here, look to the person beside you. What is the world's record for the father who has produced the most children for one wife? How many children is that? Okay, so go ahead, uh, figure it out. Those of you at home. Okay, uh, how many of you said 20? Just raise your hand. Those of you in Yorktown, raise your hand. Albany, okay. Uh, how many said 30? Those of us here, okay. How many said 40? Raise your hand. Okay, good, good, good. You're all wrong. The number is 69 children. Okay, yeah, crazy, isn't it? 69 children. It was from a father who lived in Russia in the 18th century, and he had 16 twins, 7 triplets, and 4 quadruplets. So no matter how much of a man you think you are, fathers today, you are not that manly. So I've been thinking about this whole process of world records, and as I looked through, what I couldn't find was the world record for the person who caused their child the greatest amount of anger. Uh, the question's this, which father holds the world record for provoking a child to the greatest degree of anger? What is it? Well, you know, sometimes uh, I think to myself that, you know, I provoke my two girls to anger. Sometimes I don't listen to them all that well. My 11-year-old has a high kind of word quota, and so uh, there are many times that I just don't listen to the nth degree. Sometimes my lack of listening to them, I know, creates a sense of anger. Sometimes I wonder if my choice to choose work or to choose sports or something else actually causes them to become angry. But I'm sure this is probably just something that I deal with, right? Like, I mean, none of you other fathers, none of you other parents, no moms, you never provoke your children to anger, right? Not we know that's not true. Well, God must have known that you and I would struggle with this, that we would be tempted sometimes to cause our children to be provoked to anger. And so he gave us a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of David. Now, what's kind of interesting about David is that we're told that uh, he actually was the only person who was given the title, a man after God's own heart. Uh, for those of you that are kids, you might remember the story of David actually takes out this big giant. What was his name? Yeah, Goliath. And uh, you think of him as like this spiritual kind of superstar. But the reality is, when it came to parenting, he was not a superstar. In fact, he was a super loser. Uh, there was a heart that he never really listened to, and that was his son named Absalom. 
And because of this, Absalom actually murdered his half-brother. He set fire to uh, one of his dad's friend's fields and destroyed it all. And he even staged a coup to try to take out his dad as king and replace himself to be king. Folks, David holds the world record for provoking his children to anger. And yet scripture is very clear for those of you who are dads that it's this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. Let's all kind of say this out loud together, uh, all in one voice, whether you're uh, listening through the stream or you're here today. Let's read this out loud together. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. In other words, what he's saying is like, don't push them to the point of hostility or rage or anything else. Because if you do that, you will never be able to lead them in such a way to draw them closer to God. Now, some of you might be asking, well, how could someone with David's kind of spiritual status wind up in such a tragic relationship with his son? Well, I think one of the biggest parental violations that David committed, and it's one that we all commit, is with his sense of abandonment. That the biggest parental violation that David committed with his son was abandonment. In fact, I think probably the biggest kind of violation, the biggest violation that you can make in our culture today is abandonment. Now, (laughs) I have a feeling that many of you who are dads right now, or maybe soon to be dads, you'd say, well, I'd never abandon my kids. Like, that's not me. I would, I would never abandon them. Well, what I want to talk today for the rest of our time is not so much about physical abandonment, you know, leaving a baby on uh, a doorstep or fathers who are running off. Rather, I want to talk about abandonment through the lens of a father being physically present and yet at the same time being totally emotionally disengaged or emotionally actually far from the child. I mean, it's very possible, folks, for a father to be geographically present with their children and at the same time to be emotionally distant from them. There's a great author and counselor and professor, a guy by the name of Norman Wright, who actually called these fathers who were kind of physically present but emotionally distant. He gave the name Phantom Father. He said these are people that are fathers that are just bystanders. Uh, They really never know what's actually going on in their kids' lives. They're around, but they're not very engaged with their children in a way that actually breathes life into them. And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning. And if you're on your phone, you can uh, go ahead and put this in the app. But here's the fill-in, our big idea. Be an engaged dad, not a phantom father. 
And this could be with anything, whether you're a mom, uh, whether you're a sibling. Are you going to be engaged or will you be a person who is phantom, who you distance yourself from? Now, I have a feeling that many of us probably know some phantom fathers. We would say, hey, there, there are some people that I know that are, are disengaged from that. And I hate to say it, but what I've found in my own life is that sometimes when I look in the mirror, the person that I notice is a phantom father is the person that's looking back at me. Sometimes my conversations with my kids can be very superficial. Sometimes when I get home from doing God's work, you know, like I'm doing all this stuff for God, but when I get back home, my tank's on E and I literally don't have much left for them. And sometimes I just kind of skim over what they think is important rather than listening deeply to their hearts. Now, back to the story of David and Absalom. From what we can tell in Scripture, Absalom was born during David's climbing years. In other words, uh, in his uh, profession, as he's climbing up his career ladder, uh, he was doing all of these things, working from dusk till dawn, building his staff, reorganizing uh, his army, allowing the economy to go up and to the right. And we get this impression from Scripture that the problem is, is that Absalom does not appear on his top ten list. He's not a priority whatsoever. And the results become very predictable. Absalom feels devalued. He feels unappreciated. He felt lonely. He actually felt abandoned by his dad. And at one point, he feels this so much that he moves away from the city that he was raised in, in Jerusalem. And for three years, he's away from his dad, and his dad never reaches out to him. Think about that. For three years, you're... you're away from your dad, and he never reaches out. Or if he did, at least, there's no record in Scripture that he did. He never communicated. He never tried to find out exactly what was going on in his life. And so finally, a trusted friend goes to David and says, hey, you haven't seen your kid in like three years. And so why don't you invite him to actually come back home to Jerusalem? And so it took a while, but he finally did. And Absalom receives this message, and he's like so excited. He's like, yes, I'm finally going to be able to be back with my dad. But upon returning to the city, Absalom was not welcomed in the palace where David was, but he was sent to a private quarters away that was arranged for him. And that move should have been something that it was so reuniting, but it actually was you're in the same city. But David was far, far away from him emotionally. And when Absalom gets there and he thinks to himself, he's like crushed. He's like destroyed. He's like, I've been away from my dad for three years. And now when I finally get back, he wants still nothing to do with me. 
And he kind of had these expectations. He's like, yeah, now we'll be together. And now his expectations are dashed. And he's like, it figures, it figures. Dad always is like that. He's never going to change. He's never going to change. And so Absalom goes to his private quarters, hoping that eventually they would connect. And he waited and he waited and he waited. Anyone want to take a guess of how long he waited? He waited two years. So think about that. Three years that he's gone. Now we add two to that. Five years that he is away from his dad. And his dad wants nothing to do with it. And finally, after these two years of waiting, he's no longer sad about it. He's no longer crushed about it. He's angry. He's mad. He's ticked off. He couldn't take it any longer. And so Absalom goes to the palace and he sets up an appointment with the appointment secretary, David's general, a guy by the name of Joab. And he says, I want to see my dad. I want to see him. I don't care what it takes. It's been five years. Surely he would just have a few minutes for me. But Joab turns back to him and he says, well, okay, I'll get back with you. I'll let you know. And so he tries to get back with him, but not right away. And he never talks to him. And think about that. Not only is he not kind of connecting with his dad, now he can't even connect with the appointment secretary, his general, Joab. And the abandonment and the rejection is so great that it puts Absalom to the edge. And so Absalom goes ahead and he hires a few guys and he says, hey, you know what we're going to do, Joab? The appointment secretary, the general, will not let me in. And so what we're going to do is we are going to actually catch on fire one of his fields. And we're going to make it burn down. And they went to this harvest field and they caught it on fire and it all was destroyed. And finally, Joab's like, hey, I guess I better talk to him. I don't want the rest of my fields to be destroyed. So he comes to him and he says, hey, what's the problem now? And he says, I'm telling you, Absalom, I don't care what's going on, but don't destroy my fields. And Absalom turned to Joab and he said, if you do not let me see my dad, I'll burn down everything that you have. And Joab all of a sudden says, hey, we better make an appointment. And uh, so they make an appointment together. And after five years, they finally get back together for the first time. But the problem is, is that the meeting didn't go that well. You see, it was too late. The damage had been done. Absalom's sense of abandonment could not be easily fixed over a meeting, and now the stage was set for a lifetime of heartache between this father and his son, and it rubbed in the abandonment issue and the emotional detachment created pain like you can't imagine. Now, time out just for a second. I want to talk to all of the dads right now, and uh, I want to talk about this phantom fathering kind of business. And here it is. 
Dads, if you bring your daughters or sons into this world, be there for them. Like, make a commitment to say, I'm going to be there for them. If you're a young dad, the first 10 years of your daughter or son's life is so essential. In the first celebration, kind of up here in the very front row, there was a dad with two small little children. And naturally, you know, they're talking and everything. And I'm like, I don't care. I want all the kids in here. Because it doesn't matter to me. The role of a father to bring your children to church is such an essential thing for them to be able to see that it's not just mom doing it, but dad's making the commitment to do this. Now, I realize if you're a young dad, you're, ta- you're, you're kind of, you know, uh, tugged in many different uh, ways. There are different things with work and their activities. And you're like, you know what? I just can't do this. Sometimes I feel that way as well. But we can't let the pressures wear us down on this one. You see, dads, the truth is, is that most of us are only going to live to be about 70 to 80 years old. And I'm telling you, I've been with dads on their deathbed before. And one of their greatest regrets was, you know what? I didn't spend as much time with my kids. Now, some of you are dads of teenagers, Such a joyful time, right? And uh, so I'm a dad of a teenager. I get it. And sometimes what happens is uh, when they're little, we're not very engaged with them. And then we say, well, it's too late. They're, They're doing their own thing. Dads, it's never too late. It's never, never too late if you're a dad to engage and you can do this. You can turn from a phantom father to an engaged dad. And for those of you dads who are dads of adult children, and you're like, you know what? I I messed up so much of the first part of my life. It's not too late. You can engage. You can be a part of it. And if you're estranged from your kids, you can make it right. Be the first one to seek forgiveness. Be the first one to seek reconciliation. Because you don't want to go to your grave with that over your head. I mean... Even if the issue is your kid's fault. And sometimes when they're adults, they make some really bad choices. And it can be like, you know, uh, uh, 98%. It's their fault. Then if you're a dad who's engaged, you'll engage in the 2% to say, I apologize for this. Dads, regardless of the age, be there for your kids. Be there for them physically. Be there for them spiritually. Make that happen. And even if you have to put aside climbing up the career ladder, even if you have to put aside the promotion, you do it because you'll never have a greater investment on return than when you invest in your kids. Now, I realize that some of you dads are like, you know what, but my my kids were... Uh, difficult for me to be emotionally engaged with them because my dad was never emotionally engaged with me. Well, if that's the case, then you can change. You can learn these things. You really can. You can read a book. You can go to a seminar. You can look on the internet on how to understand the heart of your kids. You can go to a counselor and say, I'm paying you. 
I'm literally going to pay you money to help me to know how to engage with my children. That's what I'm doing. But don't, whatever you do, pass on a broken baton that you were given to your kids. Change it, make it different. Again, dads, these are learnable skills. Uh, Usually, once a year, I pick a book that I'm going to read to help me to become a better dad. And so at the beginning of this year, uh, I picked a book by Kevin Lehman that was this, Be the Dad She Needs You to Be. Be the dad she needs you to be. Now, I'm not a father of sons, so I'm sure there's one out there. Be, you know, the dad he needs you to be. But find something. But what I learned in this book is that a dad is the one who teaches his daughter what males are all about. It's the first man in her life that she'll ever know. The first man that she'll ever love. The first man that she'll ever try to please. It's the first man that will ever say no to her. And if a dad is loving and steady and he's balanced in his approach with his daughter, she will have a sense of security and love and trust. And she will have that and make sure it's a part of all of her relationships. But... If a daughter doesn't have security and love and trust in those relationships, she will be tempted to try to find men who aren't good for her and who treat her badly. So let me just say, don't be a phantom father. Be an engaged dad. And part of that is because there's benefits to it. Dr. Lemon actually talks about four huge benefits that are given to kids who have a dad like that. First of all, they have higher self-worth. Secondly, they rebel less, especially in the critical years. That enough is a reason to engage, right? Hey, maybe they're not going to rebel so much in those difficult years. Their adult relationships are healthier. Their life trajectories are more successful. And dads of adult children, let me say this. If you're a dad of an adult child and you're like, no, I think I've just messed up too much. It's never too late to learn. One of the things with my own dad is that he wasn't always there for me in a lot of my activities. But now he's a granddad. And if you're a granddad, then invest in your grandchildren. He's at all of their stuff now. Because he's made a commitment to say, I want to learn, I want to get better than what I was with my own kids. So be there for them emotionally, be there for them spiritually, make sure that they're here. That's why if you're a dad and you have your kids here today, I'm so proud of you for making a commitment to have it here. And be there in proximity. Sometimes when they move away and they're gone, it's like, I don't want to spend the money. Stretch yourself to make that an impact. But don't let abandonment of any kind do to your kids what happened to Absalom. Be an engaged dad, not a phantom father. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, getting ready for my day, and I knew it was going to be a difficult day. And I had multiple meetings. I had some hard conversations that I was going to have to take uh, on. And uh, there were some big decisions that I had to make. 
And so when I got home from all of that, I was like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with my two girls. And so I walked into the house and I said, hello. And then I went up to my room and I'm so committed to trying to work toward uh, racial injustice that every other week I talk with uh, African-American pastor friend of mine who lives in Dallas. And we've been talking about uh, what it means and to have dialogue and conversation. And so we have this kind of, you know, very deep conversation for about uh, three uh, or about an hour and a half, a little bit, uh, an hour and 30 minutes. And uh, when I get off the phone, I'm kind of drained from that. And so I'm just like, Ugh, now me time. I get time for myself. And so I go ahead and I get my phone out. I'm looking at ESPN, Pacer stuff, cold stuff. When all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And my 13-year-old daughter, Jordan's like, and I had forgotten, I had forgotten that I had promised to her that I was going to run with her. And so I'm like, okay, I'm ready, you know. And so uh, I go and I get changed, everything's ready. And now I'm so old that I have to wear these black compression socks that go all the way up to my knees. So I have to get those on, and I just can't go out and run anymore. I actually have to go and walk for a half mile, and then I have to stretch for 10 to 15 minutes, and then I walk another half mile. And uh, this week was my birthday, and so I turned 49, and I know those of you on the other side of the screen, some of you didn't wish me a happy birthday, and God's not happy with you. Now, all of you that are here right now, you've wished me happy birthday, so you're all good to go, okay? And so I get ready, and I'm doing all this. I'm like, oh, man, I still have a lot of texts to do. I usually have about 50 to 75 that I'll do within a week. And so I get my phone out, and I start thinking about all the texts, and I'm getting ready to walk my first half mile when all of a sudden behind me there is this uh, footprints that are footsteps that I hear. And my daughter, uh, Jordan, all of a sudden yells out, hey, old man, wait up. Now, I look around at that point like, who's the old man? You know, uh, I don't know who it is. And she comes up and she's like, dad, I decided that I'll actually walk and I'll do all of your, you know, pre old man stuff that you have to do. So we go ahead and uh, we start walking, and I have my phone, and I know I can do some text. And I just decide, you know what, I'm going to put all this aside. And so I put my phone up, and she starts telling me about a swim camp that she had been at. She started uh, telling me about uh, her week, and she was going to get her uh, cast off of her wrist, and she was looking forward to that because she had broken her arm uh, earlier uh, in the month, or her wrist earlier in the month. And she started sharing about her heart, and I'm listening to all of this, and I'm like, this is what it's about. Now, let me, know, let me tell you guys, there are some times in which I'm not that dad. There are many times I am a phantom father, but on this day, I chose to be engaged. And so in the midst of all of that, I uh, started running, and uh, Jordan hasn't been able to run as much as me, so I'm running ahead of her. I'm kind of beating her and I'm thinking I'm 49. She's 13. You know, I still got it. 
And uh, so I'm running and we ran two miles and I'm ahead of her the whole time. But I'm encouraging her when we turn like, good job, Jordan, good job. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to show her again that I've got it all together. And the last 200 meters, she is just like a rabbit. Goes straight by me. And I'm like a turtle going, help, help. And she winds up beating me. And she's like, you okay, old man? And I'm like, yeah, you know, just just kind of barely. And so uh, after we're all done, since I'm so old, I still have to stretch. And so uh, I go and I start stretching more in the garage. And it usually takes me about 10 minutes to kind of stretch everything out. And in the midst of my stretching, I'm finally done. And I walk outside. And Jordan's nowhere to be found. But I walk outside and there on our driveway was this. She had written in chalk these words. Good job, Dad. I love you. Six, ten, twenty. You know, folks, there were a lot of things that I did on six, ten, twenty. But the thing that I will not forget, that I'll remember forever on that day, is this chalk writing. You see, dads, there are benefits not only to your kids when you're engaged, but there are benefits to you as well. And the impact can be amazing. And it all came down to that day. Was I going to choose to be a phantom father and do my text and do my own thing? Or was I going to be an engaged dad? Guys, Don't be like David when it comes to parenting. Don't be like him. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't ignore their needs. Don't push them into resentment. Don't abandon their hearts. Be there for your kids. Be there for them physically. Be there for them spiritually. Be there for them emotionally. And if you're not good at doing that, then get some help so that you can understand your kids' hearts better. You know, whenever I read the story of Absalom and David, I often wonder to myself how Absalom's life could have been so different had David engaged with him. I have a feeling that Absalom could have been a world changer and done all kinds of things if his dad would have prioritized him as a top priority. And because he didn't, it cost him greatly. So dads today, I want to encourage you to be an engaged dad. And so right now, I want to give a challenge to every single one of you dads who are watching right now. And all of you dads that are here in this auditorium. Today, if you're willing to commit to being a better dad, that I'll read a book, I'll go ahead and look at something online, I'll go to a seminar, I'll get some counseling if I need that. If you're willing to make that commitment today, I'm going to ask you to do something bold, both online and all of you dads that are here as well. That if you're willing to be a better dad, I'm going to simply invite you to stand. 
just right where you're at, if you're willing to make a commitment to be a better dad, to just go ahead and stand. Now, the first two celebrations, I had the dad stand, and then I had kind of a commitment for them to commit themselves to. The problem is, when I said, okay, now I want you to repeat after me uh, these particular words, it sounded like church mice. Hello, I'm a committed dad, you know. So I know this third celebration, you guys are going to be better at that. And everybody online, I know you're going to be better at that. And so it'll come on the screen, but I simply want you to repeat these words after me. And here they are. I am committing today to be an engaged dad and not a phantom father. Let's all stand for prayer. God, thank you so much for every dad who stood in this auditorium today at all three of our celebrations. Thank you so much for the dads who are standing right now in rooms that they're in. God, would you help them to draw closer to you and be an engaged father that you are calling them to be? And God, if there's any dad right now who is estranged from their children, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would give them the the encouragement and the courage to actually do the right thing so that your name would be made great. You know, I was thinking today that for some of you, you might think that your heavenly father right now is a phantom father. Because you've been praying for something and you've been praying and you've been praying and you just aren't getting the answer that you think your father, your heavenly father should give you. And maybe for others of you, you're struggling with something right now. You're really struggling with something and you're asking God to move in and it just seems like he's a phantom, that he's not there. I want you to know today that your heavenly father is head over heels in love with you and he cares about you and he loves you and he has great things in store for you and he is not walking away from you. And so today, maybe you would say, you know what? I want to give my life to my Heavenly Father. Maybe your dad wasn't always around, but your Heavenly Father will never, ever leave you. So if that's you right now, I'm simply going to invite you into a prayer. Because today you're committing, saying, I need your love. I need your grace. I need your hope in heaven, God. I'm giving my one and only life to you. And as you pray this, you're not praying it alone. But we all pray together in unity here at the jar. And so right now, wherever you're at in this auditorium, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
You may be seated here in the auditorium. If you want online, you can uh, be seated as well. But I want you to know that if you said that prayer for the very first time, all of heaven is celebrating with you. And if you would, uh, there is a button. You can just kind of tap on the raise hand button and accept Christ. Uh, if you're here today, uh, when you leave, as you go out this door to the left, if you made that commitment today, there are people that would love to pray for you. If you want prayer for anything, one of our hosts would love to be able to pray with you as well. If you need prayer for anything, someone will be there to pray uh, also. Uh, if you're watching online, we want you to know that we love you. We care for you. We are so grateful for all of you here in the auditorium today that you brought your family out and God is working and moving in the midst of this. So in just a moment, our greeters will come up and they'll kind of release you uh, as uh, each row. And uh, if you are watching from wherever you're at, you're released. But know that you are loved and everyone is loved in this place. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you later.